Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Heather Potters, how are you today? Good to see you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's um, great to be back and um, be able to share kind of the latest, greatest. And I have to say, I feel like I'm a little tired um dragging a little bit oh, just because things okay. are busy busy good and uh you know i'm kind of last on my list uh <laughs> personally <laughs> well your vibe feels good your energy feels good you're smiling so that's good yeah yeah we've accomplished a lot lately and it's it's been a lot of work i suppose it always is for everybody nobody knows ever what it's like to be you you know but life is is busy good busy full with some good accomplishments I'm anxious to get into all the PharmaJet updates. Isn't it true, you know, running a business, being a founder of a business, being on the board, being a CEO, it's hard, right? Like I, I it's a very challenging life. Um, I was telling somebody the other day, one of my new favorite lines is being a regular employee is kind of easy almost compared to being an entrepreneur. <laughs> It is, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's a, a thankless job or sometimes it's just that extra stress that goes along with, you know, meeting payroll and, and doing way too much at the same time and family sacrifices and, and uh, you know, having to be always on. Yes, always And I, on. I think, you know, for me personally, I'm always wanting things to, to go well. So at PharmaJet kind of our, our, corporate culture is, you know, to be tenacious and, and, you know, deliver the highest quality, the best of all the time, you know, by bars pretty high. So uh, what's expected of all of us and everybody is just that. And, and we do a pretty good job of it. But the truth is, is that it's nice to slow down every once in a while and say, thank you. Or it's nice to take a little bit of time just to reflect on, you know, the, what's most important. It's a combination of, of personal and business. Your work ethic and competitive spirit that came from your, I'm assuming your, your parents just drove genetic. Yes. Yeah. I figured, you know, I didn't ask you a, a lot last time about your mom and dad. I know your, your, your mom was in the healthcare space. I believe I think maybe your dad too, but can both of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can you give me, uh, why don't you give us an overview of both of them real quick? I'm just would like to hear more about them. Sure. Um, well, my dad came from kind of a grapes of wrath family, uh, born in the depression. He was number eight out of eight kids. And um, he and his, his siblings all banded together and they put each other through school and they all became either in the case of the men orthodontists, there were four of them, or in the case of the women nurses or hygienists, dental hygienists. Wow. So uh, that work ethic of family and work hard and show up and dig in was you know, from his upbringing. And then uh, in combination um, with my mother, who came from a very entrepreneurial upbringing, um, okay. she ended up uh, 
meeting my dad in dental school and she oh. pursued a dental hygiene degree. Okay. And then eventually she ran his practices. So they actually worked together. And my father was a very significant Rotarian. Um, I'd say that my mother was informally a Rotarian, but they did volunteer medicine and dentistry around the world um, in their spare time. And we hosted people from 29 countries by the time I was 18. Um, and it included uh, exchange, not just students, but professionals. So the combination of international upbringing and help your fellow man and work hard and they worked together um, just was, you know, from day one, really integrated. And then you add to that, um, I think, the importance of education, the importance mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of having a global perspective. And uh, I am positive that that influenced what I studied, where I did, how I worked, how I approached work, and, and the whole flow through ethics. No doubt about it. Uh, are, is your dad still alive? Is your mom still with us? He is. Um, he's 87 and cantankerous, and he stopped practicing at 82. Um, and everybody said, it's time, it's time, it's time. And then my mother uh, just turned 81, um, you know, and and uh, they've recently relocated to Florida. And so um, living the best life ever in that last chapter, I guess. But okay. uh, there's still a spirit. Um, and it used to be a bit of a trade secret, but my mother and I co-founded Pharmajet. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, family, family is super important, but we were very aligned on, on making sure that, um, you know, we, we continue with everything we possibly can do to make this business successful. Are they, so they're still married all these years, all how these about, years, 60 years, 60 yeah, years. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. That's pretty impressive. Okay. And still in decent health, good shape. You know, um, relatively, I'd say yeah. that, you know, little things start to become bigger things as you get older, but, uh, yeah, relatively. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you go down to Florida, Florida and visit with them uh, of late. Yes. It's been, um, like, like a vacation destination without the vacation, <laughs> getting them moved and relocated, but I love the palm uh, trees and sunshine. Who was tougher? Who Who was more strict, your mom or your dad? Oh, that's funny. Um, my dad certainly had a lot of uh, chores, you know, on his list on the weekend. And so it was one of those things where there was not an option not to be involved in the chores. Um, and then uh, with respect to my mother, uh, it's really funny. I was a pretty responsible oldest sister. I have two siblings and oh, okay. she would okay. consistently... Uh, be reminding my brothers that she was going to wash their mouth out with soap if they cussed, you know, and those kinds of things. But they mostly just kind of laughed at her because uh, it's not that she's a wimp. It's just more that, you know, it's, that's, that's the boy thing. But uh, my mother's um, the kindest and one of the most resilient, uh, tough women that I know from her era of time mm. uh, all the way through, you know, her lifetime she was a real champion of women she employed mm. people uh she worked really hard she raised three kids and she continues to you know dig in and and try and be involved in her communities and her church and all kinds of things and and now her kind of retirement era you know it's interesting you mentioned the the chore list my youngest son, Spencer, one time when he was still at home, they're all they're all out of the house now. But uh, 
Spencer tells me one Saturday afternoon, he goes, he said, dad, he said, you're, you're the only dad that I know that has a list on the counter on Saturday morning when we wake up with all the <laughs> stuff we have to do. So I would pre-make a list. Like here's the pre-made list when you get up all these uh -huh. things. Yeah. <laughs> were, yeah. were you a good kid, straight A student at the library? Was there any, you know, wild streaks in there? What kind of kid was Heather? Um, people would say that I probably was, you know, more mature beyond my years. Um, and, you know, it, I from time to time got straight A's. I don't think I was a straight A student all the time. There were certain subjects that I liked more than others, but I worked worked reasonably hard, you know, in school. But um, athletic, uh, I grew up with horses, so that was always a, a fun family thing to do. And so I had a really well-rounded life and then quite a lot of international travel um, from a very early age. The first time that I lived abroad by myself was when I was 14. I lived in Chile for a summer. It was We were all given interesting experiences to kind of stretch ourselves. My That's middle great. brother went to live with the Maasai tribe in Kenya for a summer. Mm. So we had, um, you know, remarkable freedom to, to do things, but the expectation was that you're going to do something with that. And you're going to, you know, mm. dig in, be helpful, be respectful, um, participate. And so it was, it was a unique education beyond simply just, you know, reading books and, and things like that. So no, uh, you didn't have to call dad from the sheriff's office or anything. No, no, mm -mm, none anything, of that. No, you, wanna, I, you can confess I, I knew, on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I knew I'd get in big trouble. Uh, and I, I also learned to fly at an early age. So the only time that I probably had a couple of beers, my dad met me at the front door and said, how about if we go flying tomorrow at 6am? Are, really? Uh, Are you serious? Yeah, that's all he had to say was, uh, and and uh, I, I was the kind of kid that that got airsick pretty easily. So, yeah, I was I was a good kid. It was a pretty model How kid. About, it was my, did you my brother? Did you loosen up? Did you loosen up in college a little bit or no? <laughs> oh, a little tiny bit, but you know, I went to a small college in California, so it was hard to get in trouble. I think we had eight hundred students. Ooh. Um, yeah, yeah pretty right. pretty tiny, and and then. Uh, I, I guess, you know, in business school, um, they made it fun and appropriate to make sure that we had a pub to all hang out in so that none of us got in trouble. So, yeah. yeah. And how about now? I, I don't I don't know if I know anything now. Uh, married kids. Uh, what What's the status? Give us the social status, if you don't mind. So I am unmarried uh, now. I was married. Um, I have two kids who are now 23 and 25 in a week. Oh. So um, two boys, Earl and Clint, and in their own right, they've also become global citizens. Uh, they've lived in three, four countries, speak three nice. languages, you know, have a couple of passports. So that helps. Um, Very but, nice. Um, I met my husband in business school and we embarked on our um, kind of excursion that turned into living uh, in Poland for nearly 20 years uh, together. So uh, he is Dutch and, and he lives in the Netherlands right now. Uh, I see. I see. So you're remarried or you're still married to the same guy? No, I, I we're divorced um, and I have a significant other. His name is Brian. But ah, so, yeah, okay. I, I have a feeling that once people have been married, they understand that it's not just about the piece of paper. It's about the commitment. So, yeah, um, no doubt. yeah for, for yeah. me, 
being unmarried is fine, um, but I'm in a committed relationship. I got you. I want to ask you a couple of questions. I've been through the same thing. Uh, marriage or divorce is tough. Did was that? Did that happen in uh, when you were overseas or back here? Did that have anything to do with it? Living abroad? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, it 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 was finalized here, but it started when I was living in Poland. Yeah, do you think that yeah. did that have something to do with it or no? Living abroad? No, no, I. I don't think so. I think it was more that um, we each had amazingly busy and intense lives and uh, it became all about like the, the family corporation as opposed to the family. Um, it wasn't a corporation. It shouldn't be a corporation. Family sh shouldn't, you know, have mm. to have to kind of, uh, mm. I think, toe the line and climb the ladder. And so I think there was just a complete, you know, disconnect on philosophy that caused, you know, the, the cessation, if you will, of, of it's time, time to move on. You know, based on the timeline you're describing. So that means, correct me if I'm getting this wrong. So when you and your mom were starting PharmaJet, or at least during the early years, you're trying to get a company going, you were single. Is that accurate? Um. I would say I, I was not yet divorced, but but generally operating independently. That's tough. But but my my ex husband is also an investor in PharmaJet, and so you know very very um, supportive in terms of trying okay. to help. You know, oh, that's yeah, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Okay, very good. No grandchildren yet. Nope, um, and I don't think that's anytime soon. But you never say never. Uh, it's hard for me to think that I could be a grandmother. <laughs> oh, trust <laughs> me. Not yet. I, I, believe me, I know. It's I have two granddaughters now, and um, I still find it weird when somebody calls me Papa or Grandpa or something. I'm always like, <laughs> like that's weird. I, I still am having trouble with it. <laughs> Yeah. The name anyway, not the not being Papa. When I hold when I pick up the granddaughters, it's great. But the, yeah. the whole name, you know, I just like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with it or not yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm all about family, but I also know that it's so important to be able to to choose the right person to be with. And and so um you Critical. know, the concept is of marriage has probably changed a lot since we grew up. And in my family, I think it was more, you know, marriage is what you commit to get on with that commitment and don't necessarily live together. I think it's actually really healthy to live together and see if you guys can figure out how to do laundry together. <laughs> Agreed. I totally agree. And we coached all of our children that way. Yeah. Now, when you met Brian, were you like, now knowing you, you you're pretty, pretty organized, right? You're pretty detailed. Were you pretty like, okay, look, I got a list here. Brian. <laughs> Let me just go down these questions and I'll check. And if you score, is, is that how it was? <laughs> he, he would say that I, in a, in a facetious way that I was stalking him. Um, okay. I actually had my eye on uh, what it would be like to start a, a business that involves growing um vegetables essentially in a freight container. So 10% of the energy, 10% of the water, uh, okay. it's called freight farms. And um, my mother and brother are pretty entrepreneurial. And um, we were doing some kind of little mini due diligence and identified this little company that's a, wow. a you know organic distribution business here. And I thought, gosh, we should contact that person. If, if we can grow it, maybe he can sell it. And so then two weeks later, I walk into a holiday party and talk to the first person standing at the door. And it happened to be him. 
Um, oh. So, <laughs> yeah, but we're both Colorado companies to watch winners and have mutual friends. And so um, pretty quickly, you know, it was it was uh, kind of obvious that it was in the stars that we were supposed to meet. Um, has he been on has he been on the Rider Flex podcast? Do I know Brian? Do we know each other? I don't you know? think so. His name is Brian Freeman. OK, uh, so. what's the name of the company? Uh, Growers Organic. And it was sold to what chefs want. Um, oh. And he's he's now back uh, in the same industry and simply not going to have a warehouse anymore. He's He sells truckloads full of produce and imports oh. them from Mexico and Southern California for various retailers and, and food service companies. Gotcha. And how about in your spare time? Because you have so much of it. What, what, what are the hobbies for, for Heather? Like what is... I mean, you look like you're in great shape, so I'm guessing health and, and exercise, these things are ob and obvious just, just knowing you. Um, tell me about hobbies. How do you, what do you do in your spare time? So I've been a pretty avid athlete for my life, and um, I used to run a lot, but my knees are, are not as, as uh, nice as they used to be. So I, a lot of treadmill walking, um, a lot of, you know, hiking in the mountains. I live in Evergreen. And that's nice. joyous for me. Uh, I spend a lot of time just kind of outside. Uh, if I had the time, I'd go back and ride horses. I've had the horses my whole life, and and that's probably really my fun factor. Uh, and and if in my next chapter I have a whole bunch of little animals in the backyard, that'd be great. But in the meantime, <laughs> I, I have elk and deer that walk by every day, and I feed them. That's and I know that's that's not appropriate, but they like me a lot. <laughs> Doesn't didn't that really suck when you had to stop running on the treadmill and start walking? Because the same thing happened to me. Yeah, uh, yeah. The last that was the last uh, we'll call it twenty four months somewhere in there. I don't know the exact time timeline, but there was a a moment where I was like, okay, I think I'm going to start walking. This I just was just hurting too much, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Or stave off an operation if you can. I think that's the the. You know, <laughs> replacing a knee seems to be no big deal. But um, if I can do that in a decade from now, that'd be better. <laughs> I totally agree. Now, I'll be 56 this summer. And I will tell you that my 32 year old, he calls me. And he's like, Dad, he's like, I'm on these testosterone shots. He goes, all the guys, all the men at the gym are doing the T shot. And I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, tell me about it. And uh, he's like, oh, 50-year-old guys, everybody in their 50s, man, they're all just jacked. They're all just loving life. They all feel good. You know, he's giving me this whole speech. He's like, so and he, and he says, so I got on it. And he went and got his testosterone uh, levels checked. And he was in like the 300s, which is pretty low for a 30-year-old, which I didn't know at the time. You probably know that because you, you're all about health. You probably know that. He's in the 300s. So he calls me. He's like, "You Dad, you need to do this. And I said, well. I don't know. I'm a pretty driven guy. I mean, I would think my levels are decently high. Uh, at least that's what I assumed. <laughs> so I went and got tested, and the lady's like, "Yeah, you're at like 319." And I said, like, "What?" I was like, "No, this can't be." She goes, "Yeah." She goes, "You're 319." She goes, "It's a little low for a guy in his 50s." And I was like, "Okay, I want to get on the shots. How do I get on the shots?" And so uh, my kids yeah. got me on my kids got me on these shots, which now I'm like, man. The treadmill's easier. The push-ups are easier. Oh, I just feel better. I just feel better. Yeah. I sleep better. So for yeah. anybody, anybody listening, if you're in your 50s, uh, I recommend it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think it's it's a male and female thing and that hormone replacement is, is important as we age. Um, yeah. 
you know, and men have more testosterone than women, obviously, but uh, progesterone is another big one uh, for mm. women. Mm. It positively helps with brain synapses. It builds new bone. Uh, it, it, you know, is, it has all kinds of wonderful, wonderful beneficial effects. And so as women age, we actually lose progesterone and because become estrogen dominant. So I understand what you're talking about. We've also had a few people use our technology for testosterone injections. Okay. That was one and, of the reasons I wanted to bring it up yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I would, uh, can I get, I need your device because I'm giving myself the shots. I'm not real crazy about the needle going in my buttocks every right. week. Right. Uh, so let's talk about that offline. Uh, okay. So hobbies. All right. So we talked about that. All right. I know you don't have a lot of spare time, uh, but like you said earlier, you were beating yourself up before we started recording. You had not enough me time. That's another, we could talk, we could do an hour long episode on that, on that, right? Heather, like entrepreneurs, Good. executives, like you've got, you've got to spend time on your mental health, physical health, and you got to give yourself some personal time or you're just going to burn yourself out. Right. One of my friends recently coined it where it made so much sense to me. She said, what are you doing about Heather Potter's ink? And I said, what do you mean about that? And she said, well, just like you spend time working on your company and make sure that everybody's really, you know, going to get to the finish line with their investment returns and things like that. If you don't invest in Heather Potter's ink, it's not going to go okay. Right. So make sure you spend appropriate time on Heather Potter's Inc. And then it was like, oh, that's the aha, which is, yeah. Um, I <laughs> I know that it's important not to be last on my list. And there are moments where, um, you know, I have to make myself first, but I think that becomes increasingly important uh, as we get older, mm-hmm. but also as a, as a business grows and changes um, from time to time, I've run PharmaJet, but my job over a period of time has been to try and make sure that we bring together the most amazing team of people, yes. all the right investments and the orientation to make sure that that it can grow and develop because as an as an entity, there's a lot going on. And uh um I know I need to care care a lot about, you know, my my personal future mm-hmm. in the same way. Yeah, totally agree. Give us the update on PharmaJet, by the way, for the listeners, PharmaJet.com, um, PH, PharmaJet.com. Heather's been on the podcast before, so you can go back and check out the first episode as well. But uh, give us the latest and greatest, and maybe start out with a quick overview of who PharmaJet is, what you're about, and then kind of some updates, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. That'd be my pleasure. So um, Pharma which connotes drugs, right? Uh, Jet connotes a jet of fluid. We essentially have created a needle-free jet injection technology like Star Trek, where push and click, a really fast fluid uh, goes into your body. And we focused on vaccine delivery specifically. So our PharmaJet approach is getting rid of the needles. Hopefully that inspires more people to be immunized, make it simple for health care providers in any circumstance, whether or not it's a sophisticated clinic or uh, frankly, door to door in, in difficult country Mm -hmm. uh, situations. And, and then along the way uh, with our development activities, we discovered that not only can we do all of those things and have happy patients and caregivers, but we actually have the ability to reduce the dose of immunization by moving from the muscle to the skin so that functionally 80% less vaccine injected intradermally 
is about the same immune response as a full dose into the muscle. Really? Okay. Uh -huh. And we also right. have Good. this magic power to help affect certain kinds of vaccines. So in the case of <clears throat> nucleic acid, which is DNA and messenger RNA, we elicit better immune response than needle-based delivery. So um, it's kind of a magic superpower, if you will, where we've been working with now 80 partners to try and help them advance their indications. And the world's first DNA vaccine was approved for use with PharmaJet, doesn't work with needles, and it uses our intradermal platform. And right now we have the world's first thermostable messenger RNA vaccine that is pending approval, which could be any day now. Uh, and same thing, we help elicit higher T cell and B cell responses than needles. And so it's um, joyous to be able to look back and see that what we intended has happened. But even more than that, um, if we can make a huge difference in bringing new indications to market for infectious disease and cancer and all kinds of other things, um, that's our current focus for the next decade ahead of us. You mentioned, I don't remember this from last time. It, so the dose amount is less. So, wow, if you're the maker of the uh, vaccine, you're saving lots of money because you're not having to put as much juice inside each arm. I hate to simplify it like that, but is that is that accurate? <laughs> I think it's mostly accurate, except it depends on who you are in that pharma company. So if your job is to sell more flu shots, as an example. Um, oh, and I tell you, we can reduce see. the dose by 80%. I it might see. not be in your interest uh, uh, that we mm. can essentially help expand your supply opportunity. Mm. On the other side, however, um, if you're the brand new manufacturer of flu, and we can approach things together with a reduced dose format, that means you can be much more competitive with a lower mm -hmm. cost mm -hmm. approach. Um, from a patient's perspective or from a, a public health provider's perspective, being able to save money is really important. And certain vaccines are hard to make and short supply. So really, truly, there's something under the rainbow for everyone. Depends on your point of view. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you're you're making the device or devices. Are there two different devices now? And and then you're are you selling the devices to pharmaceutical companies or to hospitals? Who's your end client? So we have two platforms. Our, our kind of standard depth and dose platform is 0.5 milliliters into the muscle. And that's a fixed dose uh, optimized system for vaccines. They're typically 0.5 ml into the muscle. I see. And we're cleared for intramuscular and subcutaneous space. And then we have an intradermal platform which delivers 0.1 ml into the skin. And that's kind of like an eye drop. It's, it's a much of nothing mm. in, uh, injection from, from the volume point of view. But the magic is that we essentially flood a dermal area that provides um, within less than a 10th of a second, a rapid distribution of the vaccine or the therapeutic and that helps hyper accelerate the immune response. We touch more antigen presenting cells where, you know, the skin is our body's barrier and we have a lot of those special kinds of immune cells there. Okay. So um, those two platforms are, are the ones that we have approved and scaled um, lots of global regulatory approvals like 
FDA, CE Mark, WHO pre-qualification. Then on a business basis, it depends on where you are. So I could tell you where you should go get your flu shot, for instance, uh, in the pharmacy here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I think if you were a public health person in a country, you know, Ministry of Health level, we would walk in talking to you about your immunization programs and you would benefit by using PharmaJet because we save a lot of money and we help increase the, the ease of care. So um, one example of that is we're part of the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. Okay. And in Pakistan, 7 million children have been immunized using our intradermal platform and they just uh, the WHO just placed another large order and in in Pakistan the um, polio situation it's an endemic country where it's in the water and sewage systems and therefore if you're not mm. immunized you have great risk of of having polio and being permanently paralyzed so in in Pakistan we tend to find that they use our technology in mass immunization settings where 500,000 kids will be immunized in one week by so who? Very, by, the, by, the, by the government? By, by, by the a, Ministry of, of Health and, and their caregivers. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. So very right. different than a, a U.S.-based pharmacy where you walk in and get a flu shot. But we do, we do all of those things. And then we also have customers that are in the form of pharmaceutical development groups. So large pharma, small pharma, well-endowed academic and government and NGO partners. Okay. And we deal with them. Uh, you know, we start in the lab. And assuming that their discovery helps advance into, you know, human testing stage, we go all the way through phase one, two, three with those partners Mm. and we would end up on the label. So we would sell them product and they would likely distribute it into the channel that's most appropriate for that indication. White label, you white label it and then they call it, they call it whatever they want to call it, but it was your, your platform. Well, that's under discussion. Um, okay. we, we've not agreed yet to white labeling. We uh, want to make sure that everybody knows it's a PharmaJet injection. But the, the truth is, is that um, the regulatory dictates that we essentially get married. It's our device mm, mm. and their injectable medicine. Mm. And it's not a generic uh, set of data. It's very, very specific to those things working together. So we end up on the label. And, and therefore we kind of, you know, go down their channels, um, their marketing, their okay. points of, of distribution. Okay. So that I understand, I'm going to ask as many commoner questions as I can. So the listeners can under, understand. So Kaiser's not your client. UC Health in Colorado is not your client necessarily. necessarily. It's, it's Pfizer's your client. Is that... Am I getting that right or no? I'd say that's mostly right. Um, in the United States, our FDA clearance would allow for any healthcare professional to use our technology for vaccines and drug delivery for adults uh, or and, and children or for prescription home use. So mm-hmm. the, the, doc, the doctor's job or the healthcare provider's job is to conduct medicine with approved products. So we have that approval. There's a distinction though. We, we would like to go talk to someone and educate them about our technology. And so we would refer to the data that we have. So I would walk through and talk about flu as an example, we're on the Securus flu label here. 
Okay. And um, we can highly recommend that you use it for that. We've studied it. We have all kinds of data to confirm that it's safe, fast, and easy. So we're very careful about making sure that we don't don't uh, kind of get at odds with the regulatory rules. But the truth is, is that healthcare providers make their own decision. And we have doctors that use our, our product, but in, in the lower middle income countries, it tends to be that it's public health I see. and it's one point of contact. And then it's their programs for, for immunization. So two questions from that then. So my family doctor, who's part of Banner here in Colorado, he's based out of the Greeley hospital, my family doctor, he can't on his own in his little office, just order your device and give people shots with that without getting approval from Banner. Um, I don't know that that would be true. He certainly can order the device. Mm, I guess okay. if he doesn't control the the payments uh, and somebody else has to to you know mm. pine on that. Um, I see. I you see. Know, he he, it, he certainly could legally do that. That's not a problem at all. Hmm. Okay. Very. I see why you're targeting other. Well, I don't know if it's a specific target or not, but I would be targeting other countries with universal government health program where it's one point of like look if we just sell this person right here boom we're done <laughs> and and in part that's true i think we would rather sell millions of syringes as yes. opposed to 500 syringes yes, right yes. if the economics make a, a big difference yes mm, mm. any countries you're specifically working on right now anything about the close anything you can share yeah, we are. We're we're very excited that uh, this thermostable messenger RNA COVID indication uh, will be approved shortly in India. They're okay. using our intradermal platform, and the distinction there is that the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA vaccines that are kind of now standard of care are deeply frozen, so minus forty, minus seventy degrees, and that cold chain almost doesn't exist anywhere in the world. Mm. It's very expensive. Mm. And this uh, innovative Indian company has been able to stabilize the mRNA so that it's simple cold chain, like your refrigerator. Okay. And that means it's much lower cost. So consequently, that has um, significant application for lower middle income countries, um, you know, particularly, and many of whom kind of lost out in terms of access to appropriate vaccines. Mm. Because COVID's endemic, we don't know how it will change, but it'll probably be a little bit like flu. You know, you might go get your annual COVID mm -hmm. shot, just like mm -hmm. you would get your annual flu shot. So that's exciting. Um, we are working currently to enroll um, women, adolescent girls in Indonesia for an HPV vaccine study. Okay. It's a reduced dose approach. So we've already done two small studies. This is a big pivotal study to prove what we expect to be true, which would be that 80% less vaccine injected into the skin produces a non-inferior level of immunity versus a full dose. And that helps stretch supply and save money. And that vaccine is hugely important because Women in lower and middle income countries, it's the second leading cause of death, cervical cancer. I didn't so know. That. Okay. Very important vaccine and it's highly effective. We're also working to um, begin enrollment this year in Brazil for um, pan, or a, an influenza approach, also okay. fractional dose. Um, we have an enrollment that will start with a 
a U.S. government development called Venezuelan equine encephalitis vaccine. One of our cancer collaboration partners uh, is preparing for phase three study with the FDA um, for cervical cancer. Wow. So lots going on and I, I could keep going, but wow. but it's busy, busy, busy. Yes. How about just replacing needles globally? <laughs> I mean, that pretty old simple concept. I mean, every time I think about you, like if I see something pop up on LinkedIn or, you know, I'm, I'm reminded about you or, or PharmaJet, you know, and I, I'll see something. I, I always think to myself, I just don't, I don't, what's the benefit of continuing to use a needle? Like, why wouldn't you? And I know I asked you that question on the last one, but I just don't understand why we'd, we wouldn't just replace needles and use your device. It's, it's more comfortable and it, it it's faster uh, to market. It improves performance, all the stuff you got on your website. Like what, why are we still using needles? I guess is my short question. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think the, um, to be a ubiquitous company takes a long time and it costs lots of money. So how long ago did we all start using the internet? You yeah, know, it was right. CompuServe in 1991 when I finished business school and then people had AOL accounts and, 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 you know, so I think there's evolution of markets that take some time. Um, whether or not it's Google or it's Uber or all these household names that we think it was always there, it, it took some some time. Okay. I think increasingly for uh, DNA uh, vaccines to come to market, um, they'll come to market with PharmaJet's needle-free jet injection technology because we help increase the immune response so significantly versus needles. Needles just don't move the bar at all. So there will be categories of... Um, infectious disease, cancer, autoimmune, allergy indications during this coming decade. And therefore we, we will be the standard of care, the only standard of care there. But in other places, um, some people don't care about whether or not the, you know, it's a needle or a needle free. Some people are deathly afraid of needles. Right. So I think it just depends on the environment. And then in certain countries, you know, there's massive uh, pass along disease risk with needle stick or reuse. Right. Yes. And, and um, we we have just enormous support for our intradermal product in places like Pakistan and Somalia. We're rolling out in Nigeria right now. Um, you know where the environments are are um, sometimes really really challenging. But is there is there any reason why eventually every doctor's office, like if I go to my family doctor and he's like, "Hey, you need your tetanus shot or whatever," I don't know. Uh, like they wouldn't just use your device instead of a needle. Is there any reason to think why we couldn't eventually just get there for every type of shot? I think we can get there, but it's going to be a little bit longer. And uh, there isn't a, you know, that kind of hundredth monkey uh, approach where you need a statistically significant number of people and or data or studies to, to make a ubiquitous claim. So okay. for instance, in, in the COVID scenario, um, there's been a, easily a couple hundred million messenger RNA COVID shots, Pfizer, Moderna, but they had emergency use authorization to start because right. it was not right. fully clear, you know, about the statistics right. and evidence. Right. That's what you need. Think, emergency. Yeah, that's I, what you need. There emergency will be a tipping health. point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, seriously. I mean, uh, okay. I guess you're right. I guess when we went from wagon wheels to rubber tires, I guess it wasn't overnight, huh? 
Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> that, maybe that's why I'm a little bit tired. It's just been a, <laughs> wouldn't it be, gr- wouldn't it be great. Haul. It would be great though. If like years from now, you know, you're still here with us on planet earth to be able to look back and go, yes, I was part of that. I was part of that whole thing that transitioned the entire globe away from needles. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm careful not to say that we'll replace needles everywhere because, you know, we don't even have enough capacity. There's probably, you know, 20 billion injections in the world and that's a lot. Um, a year, but, you know, a day? What is, what is that? A year? That's a year. Yeah. 20 billion a year. Uh, okay. the, the vaccine segment would probably be close to 5 billion per year. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, it's still a lot, a lot more than still... what we have in capacity. <laughs> well, so... can your, is your device reusable? Well, our device is Platform. spring force and that okay. is reusable. We've tested it to 30,000 uses without failure to meet our regulatory requirements, okay. but the syringes auto disable after each use. So they are single use and you can't reuse them. We've, we've envisioned a way we've created a way that, that it's just not possible. Okay. How big is the company now? People, revenue, I don't know what you want to share. And I know you started it as zero like 18 years ago or 15 years ago. Can you share size with us at all? You want to, I don't know what you could share. Well, given, given that we're blasting the world, I'll be a little bit careful, but um, we probably have close to 25 people okay. now that are part of PharmaJet. But by mm-hmm. extension, we have contract manufacturing relationships um, in the U.S. and Singapore so that we can bolt on extra people and capabilities. Um, so on a look-through basis, we're larger. We have a couple people in the field in other countries to help cover the globe, but then we also have distribution arrangements by country. So it's the same concept. We don't employ those distributors, but by, by virtue of association, they, they help us. Um, we have millions of dollars of revenue. I'll tell you and, what, chat, I'll tell you what chat GPT told me you were doing in revenue. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. it's out there. Yeah. yeah it's, well, I mean, you know, the one thing about ChatGBT is we all realize like it's pretty cool, but it's not always accurate. Yeah. So uh, it's just like uh, um, Crunchbase isn't always accurate about how much capital we've raised either. But Okay, uh, good. Yeah. good. Let's talk about that one. Uh, ChatGPT said you were a $100 million company. Well, um, we're a bit shy from from that number, um, okay. but that's okay. nice. Um, that's where we're headed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, it's funny because um, I think the the uh, notion of PharmaJet being kind of this billion dollar business, and you know, a hundred million. We think in, in syringes, a hundred million syringes, a hundred million dollars of revenue, kind of thing. We have a little ways to go, but the truth is that a good portion of what we're working on are completely novel indications. So uh, while we'll be involved with uh, flu and HPV and polio, which are very large immunization funnels uh, annually, Mm. we also will find again that there will be indications that cure cancer uh, that affect infectious Mm. disease that we can't, we can't, um, you know, develop things fast enough for. I think that's the joyous, joyous bit for us. Speaking of Crunchbase, so how much, how much have you raised, and are you in a current race? Well, we are in a current race. Um, a little bit more money allows us to go more quickly, and accelerating our timelines while at the same time, kind of positioning PharmaJet to be owned by someone else. 
Uh-huh. We we know very clearly that if we were owned by a bigger company that had lots of capabilities, that they could both reduce cost and help us go more quickly. Um, the investor base is all high net worth and family office investors, okay. although some of those people in their day job uh, run investment funds. You know, so we have a deep repository of very credentialed professional financial folks. We also have doctors. We have um, certain groups that don't fully understand what we do, but they understand the impact that we can make in health. And cumulatively, we've raised $77 million for our development so far, and we're looking for 10. Looking for 10. Okay. Has uh, anybody like Pfizer or anybody invested yet? No. And and we we're careful about that because we want to make sure that there is an opportunity for a sufficient exit. We don't have a a forced exit provision that might be typical in a financial institution controlled investment, Mm -hmm. but we, we would welcome, for instance, Pfizer as a a potential owner of PharmaJet, you know, we strategic groups that could be interested could be pharmaceutical companies where they are attracted to the fact that we might make things work better than needles or Mm -hmm. for instance, needle and syringe producers or device producers, because they already have things like packaging and sterilization and distribution systems, you know, that would be valuable. Um, But we want to make sure that there isn't kind of a blocking rights. We don't have a strategic investor in our cap structure today. Okay. Okay. For reason. Based on your answer, it sounds like you would take meetings right now. If somebody wanted to buy it, you'd be like, yeah, let's go to dinner. Sure. Well, we have a few people kind of surveilling PharmaJet. Um, and uh, I, I think because of late, there's been quite a lot of an announced, you know, good progress and some firsts and onlys. Okay. I think that uh, causes companies to take notice. Um, it's a strange market situation today. I mean, as everybody knows, uh, the world's a little fragile and a lot of ec- economic turbulence. And when that happens, I think it, it it kind of crushes the the M and A market a little bit and the public offering market a little bit. But the truth is, is the that there hasn't been any diminished activity in um, immunization of late. You know, thanks to the the pandemic, everybody's keenly aware that we need to continue to invest in creating new solutions because the next pandemic or epidemic or healthcare crisis could be right around the corner. And governments typically spend a lot of money doing those things quietly. And, mm-hmm. and um, so we, we can play a definite role in um, global health, pandemic preparedness, public health, immunization, and with some of these next generation developments like curing cancer, you know, mm-hmm. that's super, super exciting. And, and we definitely have those candidates too. Here's a conspiracy outlook for you. What happens if one of the needle producing manufacturers buys it, buys all your patents, patents just to shut it down and squash it so they can keep making needles. <laughs> well, that'll be ingrained in the legal documents, of course, that that's not possible. Uh, but I, I think, you know, we're beyond the buy and kill stage okay. Okay. where um, we have, if you consider we have 80 partners globally with probably close to 150 development programs of these various indications. Some of those programs are in the labs with these large pharmaceutical companies. If we can make something work better, I think that there's massive value there where um, it's about 
you know, scientific discovery. And, and that's really proceeding at a relatively rapid rate now. And I think we can be a useful tool for large pharma companies that would like to own PharmaJet. If uh, one more question here on exit type stuff before I ask you some wrap up questions. If Pfizer or Moderna or somebody, if somebody huge bought it, does Heather retire or would she be a, an employee ride along for 20, <laughs> 24 months? <laughs> um, my personal goal is, you know, to make sure my investors get to the end of the rainbow and, okay. and there's yeah. a fabulous transition, yeah. but I'm truly not the, the inventor of our product. Our CEO, Chris Capello, um, who's been with us for 13 years, uh, really is the brainchild behind what we have that's scaled and okay. validated and approved. And the truth is, is he would have to go with the business. He's really the, okay. the, um, the secret sauce there. You said that so eloquently, right? I mean, my language would sound more like this. It'd be like you and Chris are at a, at a bar, and you're like, "Look, bro, I'm not, I'm not doing any, I'm not doing any ride-alongs. Like you're gonna go do that. I'm not gonna do that." <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if if they said, "Would you go to Timbuktu and and you know be in charge of an immunization program?" I'd be happy to volunteer. Uh, but they don't I'm, need me in the lab, and and I'm not an engineer, so. Uh, <laughs> and, by, and, and by the way, volunteer means on Heather's schedule, just so we're all clear. Yeah, Heather's yeah, all right. schedule. No, 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 no uh, not a moment to waste to help in the world. I'm sure there's lots to do, but your yeah. your mom has to be super proud too, because I know she was co-founder with you in this thing. She's got to just be ecstatic, right? I mean, yeah, she really proud. is. I, I think it's joyous. Um, she would say, you know, as a caregiver, you. you have to experience needle stick sometime during your career. And um, there's great concern on both sides, caregiver and patient. So that issue all by itself, you know, has really allowed her to, to work with some of our, our partners over time and giving, you know, healthcare training. She's been all over the world. That's great. And um, to have her then see that that little glimmer of oh my gosh and we probably can make it work better now coming to fruition you know is is something that she's just enormously proud of oh yeah super special yeah we were kind of joking around about this earlier i think before the recording you have you are dealing with very powerful organizations i mean I mean, help some of the most powerful organizations on planet Earth, right? Super powerful people uh, that control a lot of things. And I don't want to go too, too, too weird here. I don't want to go Twilight Zone. But have you ever, have you ever like gotten a weird phone call? Have you ever been gotten a phone call like, hey, stop doing that? Hey, like, what do you, you know, if you're, has anything ever weird happened where powerful people are trying to steer you in a direction and you're like, oh man, that's making me feel uneasy? Um, you know, in our earlier era of time. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, I, I have had um, occasions where um, I've had maybe early warning signals about something coming down the pike to make sure that, you know, we're aware of, um, or uh, in our, our relationship with the World Health Organization around the polio initiative, there was a person who visited us, came and sat in our conference room and said, I need to know now that you're going to be on this journey with me and we're not going to get to the end of the journey and you just give up, right? You're not going to turn your back on us because we're going to go change the approach to how we immunize. Um, and this was all about reducing the dose and doing all the clinical studies necessary. Mm. 
So, you know, maybe in different sorts of ways, there certainly have been situations where people have, um, you know, really extended, you know, a courtesy to us to either make sure that we're paying attention or to ask our help um, or, or to whisper that maybe we should go talk to somebody about something. But um, I, I'd say not of late, uh, okay. honestly, it's, it's really more that there is this refreshed approach to trying to collaborate uh, okay. in, in, at least in, in the vaccine and therapeutic space, because again, thanks to the pandemic, and I say that facetiously, um, the world is keenly aware that we, you know, it's borderless, right? We all share the healthcare burden in the world and, and we need to cooperate in order to, to make a difference. I was hoping you'd tell me a fun story like Bruno called, you know, threatened you or something. I heard a, uh, a, a little clip from Jay Leno recently. Jay Leno was telling a story about when Frank Sinatra called and said, Hey, I need you to come to this fundraiser event and do your little bit, you know? And Leno was like, uh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm busy. I'm booked that week with, with some other people. And then like a couple hours later, Frank Sinatra's agent called and said, Hey, uh, he said, Hey, yeah. Uh, those other people. Yeah. They don't, they don't need you anymore. So your calendar <laughs> free now. You could be here. <laughs> Wait, uh, I know we're almost out of time. I'm going to hit you with just uh, one, one more, maybe two. Uh, you probably have a meeting. You're, you're busy, super busy. You probably have a meeting. I want to hit you with one more kind of outside the lines here. Okay. You can decide whether or not to edit this off. the. Oh, later. yes. Go, go for it. Lay it on me. What, what's your, what's your question? <laughs> COVID as it was looking back now, now as we are beginning to look backwards, right? So easy to play. So easy to yep. play quarterback afterwards, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, it is. Why didn't right? he? Why didn't he throw the ball on that play? Yep. Well, it's because you didn't. Yep. You didn't have a three hundred pound lineman chasing you at the time. That's why. How was it handled, Heather? And you're like, would you? That's a big question. We could do a whole hour podcast, but I'm curious because you're so close to it based on your business. How did the country handle it, and what would you have done differently? Can you give me? Give me yeah. some thoughts on it. Yeah. I've spoken to a few people that were product, part of uh, Project Warp Speed, which became the the coined term of, you know, let's go fast and solve this, this pandemic situation. Okay. We also were um, in advance already collaborating with BARDA, which handles the some of the preparedness planning in the United States that was led by Rick Bright, who ultimately became the whistleblower with 200 pages, you know, in Congress testifying about mm. the decisions that were being made without science. Mm. I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Uh, scientists mm. want to make very rigorous decisions with the best thinking in mind and with the time to evaluate what's happening. So people who were within Project Warp Speed were working very, very hard and wanting to go as quickly as possible, thinking that the pandemic would be even worse than what it was. Right. And the business people were pushing to go fast. And the scientists, in some cases, were really, you know, um, reticent to do that. So I, I think, um, you know, looking back, they probably should have run parallel paths of a little bit of go fast and, and a lot more scientific diversity. Um, ultimately, I think that there were some 140 COVID 
indications that started in the lab. We had 20 documented collaborations outside the United States, but um, in in the U.S., uh, you know, where Pfizer got their big balance sheet behind uh, BioNTech, which is a German technology, mm. you know, thank goodness they did. They took a lot of risk and, and good for them. Um, in certain other countries, however, they they had to proceed on their own to try and back their own developments because it became abundantly clear in the beginning, uh, at least from, from this perspective in the U.S., that the U.S. wasn't going to share. Or in other words, uh, U.S. citizens first, everybody else later. Okay. And um, it, it gave rise to massive uh, innovation around the world. You know, so there was a, a positive aspect there, but okay. I think that, that it could have had maybe a little bit better coordination. And then um, certain things were done so quickly and perhaps without thought where there was a, uh, a you know, kind of a pre-filled needle product that, um, you know, kind of you fill a little packet and, and you put the needle in and you go squish. And in concept, that sounded great. And so there was a whole bunch of funding committed there. But what ended up happening is that nobody considered that the vaccine had to be frozen at minus 40 and minus 70 Fahrenheit and the plastics couldn't handle the freezing. So so some of these these activities happening in real time probably had, you know, mentally, you know, kind of some some nomen's logic. And that's where they lacked a little bit of the scientific rigor. Um, but we are where we are. I, I believe that innovation has been sparked more of it's coming. And I appreciate the FDA being able to kind of move quickly and be open to to um, real time uh, evaluation. Okay. And I hope we don't go back to the old ways where everything is is unbelievably slow and stifles innovation. One last question. I know I'm over on time. This will be a fast one. You have been to a lot of countries that are third world, poor countries underdeveloped. You see it all the time. If you were the most powerful person on the planet and you could do whatever you wanted, would you evenly distribute wealth? Would you would you do something to spread funding more evenly across the globe if you could? Well, I think that uh, if you're just looking at plain old economics of of people need a little bit of a landing pad in order to to be able to have a productive life and grow and and you know take care of their families and be educated, there are very successful social experiments in places like Finland where there is that support system, and you don't find that there's homeless people on the streets, and you do find that people find vocations, uh, you know. Various countries like the Netherlands, same same kind of thing. Tax rates are higher, a lot higher, you know, and there's universal health care. So it's really hard to simply say that that would work out here in the United States because our system is so different. But I do think that there are certain states here that have had those experiments in mind. I, I know that Los Angeles of late has been providing some basic housing for homeless people to try and get them situated so that they have a safe place to be and a fresh start. I, I do do believe that there is a necessity of having some framework uh, to try and help people that are, you know, just in, in huge need 
because otherwise if society functionally just falls apart, nobody wins. So, but I'm not a, I'm not a wealth redistribution fan because I do think there needs to be an incentive. You know, why, why do you get up in the morning to feed yourself, house yourself, take care of your family? Uh, and if, if the check just showed up, I don't know, would you be the same? Would you feel the same? Would you act as responsibly? You know, I'm, I'm not, not sure, but I, I do know that there are people working on that and, and there's some really good examples out there. Heather, thank you. I really appreciate you being back on the RiderFlex podcast and giving us an update. It is always a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, Stephen. I just yeah, hope that people enjoy listening to to the banter and and um, grateful for you reaching out and supporting me and PharmaJet. And thank you. Thank you.